0: In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapters 36 through 39.
1: Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me. Buy a present and come out to me and eat every one of his vine and every one of his fig tree and drink every one of the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you saying the Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? See, that's again the yardstick he's using. The fact that what his assertion is, is that since every enemy that we've come up against has fallen to our hand, that proves that our God is stronger than their gods. Where are the gods that protected our previous adversaries? Nowhere. That's his argument. Verse 19, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of And 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 have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of these lands that they have delivered their land out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? His argument's understandable. He's arguing from his point of view that all the gods of their enemies have fallen. But see, from our perspective, we realize he's made a huge mistake. A huge mistake. Because now the issue isn't Judah. The issue is God's own reputation. You know, he has roused the mighty one of Israel, as we'll shortly see. You know, it's interesting, as we read these stories, we can smugly watch from the mezzanine. We sort of see it from the advantage of where we are in history. Right? But you know, that's the key to life. That's what the book of Job is all about. Everybody says, well, the book of Job is about joy through suffering. Or, excuse me, uh, why do the innocent suffer? If that's what the book of Job is about, it's never really answered. What is the book of Job really all about? And I'm going to suggest to you the book of Job, is what it's really all about is getting the divine viewpoint. When we read the book of Job, we have the advantage that Job did not have of hearing the conversation between Satan and God in the front end. And we watch the drama from the heavenly viewpoint. We have a whole different perspective. And the amazing thing is Job's conduct in the absence of that viewpoint. But you see, that's the challenge in our lives. We're buried in the detail and the anxieties and the challenges of the moment day by day. And yet it's hard for us to stand back and say, okay, how does this look from God's point of view? Once we do that, things are often very clear if we'll just do that. And we watch this whole narrative and we sort of smile because we know that Rabshakeh is going to have his clock set here shortly. But see, that's because we have the divine viewpoint. We have the the, the comfort of looking at this from the divine viewpoint. And that's one of the things you might carry away with us tonight is recognize the same thing's true in our lives. We have to, from time to time, hit reveal codes, don't we? In case you don't know, follow what I'm saying, I'm alluding to the word processing packages. You know, that there's a key. You normally, you, you, what you type, you just see what you're going to print. And behind that, there are thousands of codes that set the font and the sizes and the tabs and the margins and the vertical. And all this stuff you didn't even know had to be dealt with the software package. Every once in a while, though, you need to deal with that, maybe change some things. You can push a button, typically reveal codes, and typically in some other color or some way on the screen, not only the text you're typing, but all these other codes that set the font and the sizes and all that show up. So you hit reveal codes and you make the adjustments to change something. But then as soon as you do that, you generally hit it again to have it go away because it gets in the way. I mean, you really want to focus on what you see. What you see is what you get kind of thing. Well, see, that's the problem in our lives. We need a reveal code situation so we can see the spiritual battle going on around us. And we're going to see some of that here shortly again. Verse 20, who, who are they among all the gods of these lands that they have delivered their land out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of out of my hand? Verse 21 shows you that these guys were had been well instructed and they were obedient. Because in verse 21 it says, But they held their peace. They being the three from Hezekiah, his entourage, They held their peace... And answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, "Answer him not." In other words, they were instructed to go receive him, get his words, don't respond, bring him back to the boss. Okay, so that's what they did. They held their peace. They didn't take the bait. They didn't get into a you know an entanglement here. They just did what they were supposed to. Verse twenty-two. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah, with their clothes torn, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. They tore their clothes, the classic Jewish gesture of anguish, sort of the first step toward sackcloth and ashes. And uh, it was illegal, improper, for the high priest to tear his clothes, even though he did do it in the illegal trial that we read about in the Gospels. But in general, uh, that w- there were certain cases where that was prohibited, but even so it made it more, that much more dramatic. But the point is, in this case, though, they tore their clothes. This was their way of expressing to the king their anguish, their uh, stress over the way, uh, uh, the, not only the way they've been treated, but the threat that lurked here, the very tangible, very uh, visible uh, the threat that they were under from this leader of the Assyrian army, which brings us to chapter 37. And came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went in to the house of the Lord. Now I'm going to risk a little conjecture here to suggest a few things that he probably had on his heart when he went to the house of the Lord because what he the problem he's facing is the same problem you and I face. I mean we have we we have our Rebshekas, we have our Assyrian armies that we face in various forms. Sometimes they're financial, sometimes they're emotional, they're always spiritual. Okay. You might turn to Psalm 50:15. Psalm 50:15 so in case you haven't marked it you may want to do that. And some of you, if you're where I'm at, you may even want to put a tab by it. The New Testament equivalent is sort of, you know, Romans eight twenty-eight. I check that about three times a day to make sure it's still there and no one's removed it. Psalm fifty-fifteen, And call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. You can look at that as a commandment, or you can look at it as a prophecy. Your choice. But look at it and apply it. I've gotten very acquainted with a number of these this past year. And I remember there's another one that uh, was given to me at a very key time, and that's Psalm, as long as we're back here to pick up another one. These are precious treasures if this doesn't mean anything to, me you, that, uh, to you, that means you haven't been under fire. You will be, trust me, and you'll want to know where to look for some of these things in the dark valleys <laughs> that you'll go through. Psalm 55, 22. I can remember we were in the other fellowship hall, and uh, I was having some, some of the early stages of some of my rather... Uh, extreme problems, and there was a guy in the group, sat right in front, a guy by the name of Hal Lindsey. You may recall he, he attended a few of those uh, uh, for a number of reasons. One was encouraged me, and also it happened to be some things that he was interested in. But um, but he handed me a little slip of paper. I still have it. It's a treasure. And it had Psalm fifty five twenty two highlighted on it. Cast thy burden upon the Lord... He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And Hal had penciled on it where it says, Cast the burden of the Lord. He says, "Pren is in handwriting. Don't hand over politely. (laughs) You cast it, the Lord. And I clung to that during those dark hours. Anyway, so Hezekiah is in that frame of mind in verse 1 of 37. And I am only conjecturing which particular portions of Scripture he might have had on his heart. But I suspect that whatever it was, it was analogous or comparable to the ones, the couple that we've just looked at to set the mood here. Now, verse 2, and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Sheba the scribe and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Hezekiah is in the house of the Lord, but he he sends his messengers to to the Lord's prophet. That seems to be the pattern. Hezekiah will pray, but his answer will come through Isaiah. And that's one of the things we should be sensitive to. We may pray to the Lord, but he will speak back to you through his word. And it's interesting to watch that dialogue take place as you you develop your relationship with him. Verse 3, And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, In other words, they're explaining to Isaiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. Thought hits me as I read this, and it came to me earlier as we were talking. You know, what's interesting about this whole threat, as long as Rabshakeh was threatening Judah... Well, God's going to answer that because there's the, the 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 psalmist tells us that he that keepeth Israel will neither slunder, slumber nor sleep. We know who that is. But the minute they start blaspheming, you see, I sort of relax because I know that the Lord's not going to let that pass. You follow me? When we were all anxiously watching CNN not long ago, and the first Scud missile was fired against Israel, I couldn't help but feel... That settles it, because of Genesis twelve three, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And when they do that, I had no idea it would be as incredibly miraculous as it was. I can't imagine shooting that many missiles into a populated area not hurting somebody. But uh, the Lord is gracious, and it's interesting though that uh, you see Genesis twelve three is still there. That doesn't mean we have to approve their policies. That doesn't mean Israel is all right. Don't misunderstand me. But it does mean God has his hand on them. See, that's why you know, everybody's all upset with these sexual deviates. I refuse to use the word gay because I think that's a fraud perpetrated by the media. And their conspicuous public displays, uh, I, won't, I don't want to say it doesn't bother me. That's not quite the right term. But I applaud the clarity You see, See, there's no there's no there's no issue there. They are what they are. Now they can repent and so forth. Fine. I'm not I'm not trying to judge the people because Christ died for them too. But the point is, the clarity I find comfort in because that's going to take care of itself. God knows how to deal with that. I worry more about the heresies within the body. I really worry about that. I really worry about these false teachers within the Christian community, on TV and radio, and whatever, that say that Israel forfeited the promises that God gave her when she rejected her Messiah. and Those promises are in the church, and the church is really Israel. Now, that doesn't sound very innocuous, it's heresy. Jesus Himself twice, in Revelation 2.9 and 3.9, speaks of these who say they are Jews and are not, that they are the synagogue of Satan. And that movement in the body That's been there in the Christian church for 19 centuries and led to the Holocaust in Europe. I thought in the 70s and the Back to the Bible movement within the Christian church, that was a thing of the past because Israel is there, prophecy is being fulfilled. And here we are today, seeing it right and left. Right and left, the anger and the hostility within the body on that issue amazes me. amazes me. We've talked post-trib, pre-trib and all that stuff for years, and it's always been a lighthearted difference of opinions, but lighthearted. This Israel thing is virulent, angry, and boy, does it show its color. I worry more about that than some of the more conspicuous Satanist stuff that you see. Because the other stuff, see, like this, like with Absheke, when he started blaspheming, you knew it was over. Well, I I, I got off the track again, didn't I? I did that once before. (laughs) This is a day of trouble, a day of rebuke. And a blasphemy, verse 3. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be, the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. That's Hezekiah's commission, or mandate, if you will, to uh, Isaiah. So, verse 5. So the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, Thus shall ye say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord. That's the preamble that's critical. Paul often would, in his letters, give advice. He had this opinion, that opinion. But then every once in a while, I say, No, this is of the Lord. Hey, that's a different category of a pronouncement. And here's Isaiah. When Isaiah says, Thus saith the Lord, that's as grave as And emphasis as was possible to express. Thus saith the Lord. Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard. With which the lackeys. The word in the King James is servants. But the Hebrew word is actually derogatory. Diminutive. The, The minions. The lackeys if you will. Of the king of Assyria. Which have blasphemed me. Continuing, Behold, I will send a wind upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And that isn't a half of it, as we'll shortly see. When Isaiah told that to Hezekiah, I can presume that Hezekiah must have been greatly relieved. Now, you can feel for Hezekiah. He's in a jam. I mean, he's responsible. It's one thing if you're alone and you're fighting your own battle. It's quite another when you have the accountability for the whole city and trying to figure out how to save those people from the threat upon them. And Hezekiah, in this particular, there's four chapters looking at it. The first two chapters, Hezekiah has a challenge that he acquits himself pretty well on. He trusts the Lord, goes to the Lord, and the Lord deals with it. The second couple of chapters, it's a little, little different kind of challenge, and he may not have fared quite so well as we'll see. But in this case, Hezekiah does pretty well, and Isaiah gives him the answer. It was a great comfort. God's going to take care of this. Relax, guy. Verse 8. And so Rabsheka returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. In other words, he'd left his uh, field command post. And uh, he heard a report concerning uh, Terhaka, the king of Ethiopia. He has come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying... Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given in the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them that my fathers have destroyed?" as Gozan, and Haran, and Rezeph and the children of Eden who were in Telesar. Where is the king of Hamath, and the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Shevarvarim, and Hena, and Eva? These just recounting all these cities scattered all through Mesopotamia, all through the Middle East, that have fallen. The Assyrians were no bluffers. These guys were pros. They were, they were accomplished. You know, the scorecard read, uh, you know, 20 to nothing. 20 wins, no losses, you know. And you're up against them for the playoffs. It's a tough one. Now, the first dialogue was verbal. The last one we read was written. Okay, so see, the first time he sent his emissaries, got it verbally. Now Rabshakeh sends this in a letter. Okay? And I love, (laughs) I love what Hezekiah does with a letter. Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Here, God, look what they're saying about you. I love that. I love that. Lord, have you seen these bills? (laughs) And the summons and these lawsuits... You said the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for you? Well, hey, I've got a few candidates to t- take a look at here. I love this. And he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who dwellest between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. It's an interesting phrase he uses here. Thou dwellest between the cherubim. We know from Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1 and 10 and Revelation 4 that the cherubim, there are four of them. You don't say between. Between implies two, right? If there were four, you'd say among, wouldn't you? The word is between the cherubim. What's that mean? What it means is, is that God is viewed here in the eyes of Hezekiah as dwelling between the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And that's indeed what he did. When Solomon built the temple, the Shekinah glory, this strange presence, visible presence, entered the temple. For a while, the priests couldn't even get in there. And dwelt in the Holy of Holies, hovering over the Ark of the Covenant. That was the reason God had them build it in the first place. Israel didn't ask for it. God asked to have the tabernacle built, which, of course, the temple is a uh, rendering of. And so, ultimately, when there's a... When the Babylonians are ready to conquer, Ezekiel describes the exiting of the Shekinah glory as it leaves the temple and hovers reluctantly over the boundaries before being ascended into a cloud. And uh, the coming and going of the presence of God to the temple. Strange idea. And we're not talking Talmudic folklore here. We're talking scripture. So God is viewed in Hezekiah's eyes as... D- He's not in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest can go in there. The holy, And, the- and then that only once a year. But the king is before the temple and praying to the God that he knows is dwelling between the cherubim, in a sense. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who dwelleth between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. It's a good beginning, isn't it? Incline thy ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, who hath... Sent to reproach the living God. That's a clever emphasis. In other words, his issue isn't us, God. It's your reputation. You're the one that's been insulted by these guys. Something else that hits me here as we read this, you notice, is the frequency of the verbs. Incline thine ear, O Lord. Hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words. Reminds me of Daniel 9. Sometime at your leisure, you know, whenever we study Daniel 9, we quickly get the last four verses, that key, the 70-week prophecy. It's interesting, though, before you do that sometime, actually read meditatively the prayer of Daniel 9, in which he prays on behalf of his people. He knows the 70 years are about up. He prays on behalf of his people. Even in the English translation, you can see the adrenaline start in Daniel. You can feel his pulse quicken. And the way you see it is the frequency of the herbs. Daniel almost comes unwound when he's interrupted by Gabriel to give him the prophecy. And if you read that, even in the English, uh, you, can, you can just feel the throb of the Hebrew. Here's Hezekiah talking to the God of the universe. Incline thine ear, O Lord. Open thine eyes. See, hear are the words, and so forth. Verse 18. For of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of man's hands, men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. That's quite a prayer. That's quite a prayer. God is very jealous of his reputation. God is very jealous of his name. There's only one thing he puts higher than his name. God puts his name very high. There's only one thing I know from the scripture that he puts higher even than his name. You know what that is? His Word. You got it. I think it's Psalm 136 or 38, somewhere in there. It's, anyway, and what you're holding is then something that is, that's the definition of truth. When the Word and the deed become one, what God says, He's going to do. <laughs> I love it the way Yul Brenner rendered it in the movie. So let it be written, so let it be done. He said He's going to do it, He does it. And we're going to see much of that happen in our own, in the next month, few months, few years, as we really understand the prophetic scenario. Okay, save us from his hand and all the kings of the earth that may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Verse 21, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib the king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel. By thy servants... Hast thou reproached the Lord, and hast said, By the multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof, and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the height of its border, and the forest of its carmel. I have digged and drunk water, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were like the grass of the field and like the green herb and like the grass on the housetops and the grain blighted before it is grown up. But I know thy abode and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult are come up into mine ears, therefore will I put a hook into thy nose and a bridle in thy lips and I will turn thee back by the way by which thou camest. God is laying it on. It's interesting, the phrase he uses here is very similar to the phrase he uses through Ezekiel, talking about Russia, Magog. I'll put hooks in thy jaws, the same idea. In both cases, we're talking about a very harsh bridle for a, a hard-to-control horse, analogous to a hackamore or something that you may be familiar with, or maybe even more severe. I'll put a hook in thy nose and a bridle in thy lips. You see, it's the it's same, same kind of a metaphor being used here.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry.